Hey, real quick, you're going to hear something a little bit different for today's snacks. Uh, what you're about to hear is a lecture, I guess, uh, that I gave at my alma mater, Bob Jones University, uh, to a, a social media marketing class. And uh, the entire theme of the talk is around the art of storytelling and a structure um, that the students can use, you can use, that I use regularly to tell stories. And most of them I contextualize within, you know, telling stories on behalf of a brand. And so uh, it was a talk I gave in the beginning of November. Um, the students were going to use some of the information that I gave them in order to create their own campaigns. Uh, I think some podcasts and, and video series and things like that. And so um, that's kind of the context. Uh, but I, I wanted to just go ahead and publish it here because uh, it's probably the most thorough I've been in explaining the storytelling framework that we use and that I believe in, and, uh, just wanted to share it here for your listening pleasure. Oh, one other note, it was just recorded on my phone. So the sound quality is not great, but Johnny, our editor did a great job, uh, cleaning it up a little bit. And, uh, for the most part, I think you'll be able to get the message. Hopefully you enjoy it. Here's the talk with, uh, the social media marketing class. So we're going to talk about how to tell a story. You can apply this to the show you all are going to produce right now. You could apply this to um, maybe a future business, future job, future advertising campaign, whatever. Kind of the idea behind it is a structure that if you're, if you're giving a speech, if you're giving a presentation, if you're creating an ad campaign, if you're making a podcast, you can fit all of those things into this structure and it'll help you be a little bit more compelling and persuasive um, as you do so. So really quick background on who I am, because uh, I am old. Uh, I used to have a, a younger brother that was pretty well known here. So it was really easy because I could be like, I'm Brandon's brother and people are like, oh yeah, Brandon. and now he's old. So like he's gone and so none of you know him, so it makes it even harder. But I graduated in 2011. Uh, I worked for a bunch of different agencies and got to work at the brand level. So uh, worked with People, like some of the brands you would know is like North Face, uh, Miami Dolphins, um, the, all the Georgia Pacific brands, L'Oreal, um, who else? A, a bunch of brands like that. So brands you've heard of and, and got to work uh, at that level. I left doing that four and a half years ago to start my own business and have built that company up now. We're a per media production uh, company. So we do videos, podcasts, things that you, got, you all are working on right now. And we do that for... In the sport, are you all sports majors? Or, oh no, okay. I was gonna relate everything to sports, but um, related to sports, we have one ex NFL athlete that we work with. While I was in the agency world, I won something called the Can Film Festival. So, you know what that is? Sort of, yeah. Okay, what is it, Ish? Um, well, we were doing this project and it's talking about all these different film festivals or whatever, but it's just like basically like people enter different like, and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's a it's French. I had never heard of it, <laughs> and it's this film festival where like when you see like obscure movies come out or like movies made by directors that are super artsy or whatever, they all go into Cannes. You know what I mean? And then the advertising world has their own Cannes thing. So I graduated from here. I don't know anything about movies really. Uh, I'm big into sports. Like that's that's kind of my thing. So Cannes was like this foreign world. I didn't even know what it was, and uh, but was able to produce a commercial that. One, a, a can lion, which is a big deal in the advertising industry. I'll talk about how that kind of happened. And I'm the husband to Sarah and our two little boys, 
Chase and Jackson. I should have just put pictures in here of them because you would have liked that probably better than what I have to say. Okay, I say all that to say, to try to like build myself up because I'm about to tell you a story where I don't look too good. So, Owen one. I was working at VaynerMedia, which is the advertising agency I worked at uh, before I started this company. And um, we were gonna go into a pitch. We were pitching Bridgestone tires. You guys know Bridgestone tires. And we we're pitching them specifically for their Super Bowl ad. Um, so like every every brand has an agency of record, which kind of oversees all of the creative that they do over the course of the year. And then the agency of record gets to decide what other agencies work on specific campaigns. So it's kind of like, if you're the agency of record, you have a monopoly on that brand's business and everybody else has to come to you and try to convince you why you should partner with them. So this, this Bridgestone had an agency of record that they had had for like 25 years, old school, uh, Manhattan, Madison Avenue, like, you know, big, big, big ad firm. And we were trying to pitch them and VaynerMedia, if you're in the ad world, like people know that name a little bit, but like, especially when I was doing this, we were, we were an upstart, but we weren't, we weren't aware of these other companies that we were competing against. Uh, were at. So we were competing against them for a Super Bowl ad for British Empires, and I was going to get to lead the pitch. And so like for, for, for the ad industry, again, I had worked on a bunch of pitches, but I had never led a pitch before. That's like getting to be a starter. That's like getting to be the starting point guard uh, for, for the big game. Like, when you get to actually lead a pitch, it takes you several years to get to that point, but it's your chance to prove to the business, hey, I'm bringing revenue in to the ad agency. I can like communicate and, and be persuasive and bring this in um, for us and I can compete with the other ad agencies at the top level and, and, and bring us, you know, help, help us be competitive in that. And so I was really excited about this. We prepared for like a month and a half or two months and developed all of these campaign ideas. We had, you know, Dude Perfect, we had them, like we had film with them for some concepts. And so we were really excited about this. And our idea was crazy, but we were gonna launch some stuff off of some buildings in Nashville, because that's where Bridgestone is, and do purpose to go off. So it was good. We get to the pitch and it went really, really well. Or I thought it went really, really well. It was like fun, it was entertaining, we had a good vibe in the room. We went out to dinner with the client afterwards, because that's what you do, and uh, it just felt really good vibes with them. And so at the end of it, one of the clients pulled me aside and was like, hey, I just want to let you know, I really enjoyed getting to know you and always a terrible thing. Like nobody wants to get to know you. So if they start with that, you're dead. So he starts off like, it's been great getting to know you and I want to keep this relationship going, but I just want you to know, like we pretty much had already decided we were going to stick with the AOR for this Super Bowl ad, unless you guys just completely blew our doors off. And I don't think that happened, but you know, let's stay in touch with it. I was floored, like I was completely depressed. I couldn't believe we were in Nashville, we had the whole team there, we had spent two months preparing. It was my shot to prove to the agency, like I can do this, and like we didn't even get back home before they told us, you're, you lost, you're not gonna win this competition. And it was really difficult for me because I thought we had done all everything right, like we had prepared, we had done all the work, we had these great ideas, but what I missed was, and what I, I found out later on the drive home with our creative director was like, I just don't feel like we told them a compelling enough story. And I was like, what do you mean? We had all these like great ideas. We, we, you know, we're going to shoot stuff off of buildings. We were going to make them look awesome. And he was like, yeah, but that's all just thrill. We didn't tell them a story about their brand that was going to show them how they were going to move from zero 
to one, how they were going to go from being just like a tire brand and the off competitor to Michelin to being this other brand that, you know, stood for something, right? We missed that like storytelling element. And honestly, that experience is what led me to dive into and to begin studying really deeply uh, storytelling, how it works, what the different methods of it are, and kind of like specifically one format that has become popularized over time. You guys ever heard of Donald Miller? Anybody heard of him? He used to be an author. He was better as an author. Now he's a marketer. He's not as good as a marketer, in my opinion. And he, he, he claimed like he kind of invented this. False. This, the storytelling uh, that we're going to talk about today, the structure we're going to talk about is called the hero's journey. It was invented by a guy named Joseph Campbell, who, uh, it, it's an ancient storytelling method. It's the idea of a saga, right? And if you can tell a story the way that a saga unfolds in your favorite movie or in your favorite um, TV show or whatever, you, then you can use that for a pitch, like I should have with Bridgestone. You can use it for your podcast. You can use it for whatever it is that you're, you're trying to communicate in your career or in your jobs. The idea here is, um, so Joseph Campbell invented it. George Lucas popularized it. If you've seen Star Wars, you consume the hero's journey without knowing about it. Um, and then Kobe was famous for having like studied this, who knows how many times he actually did, but supposedly on every plane, he was just writing and, writing and studying Joseph Campbell's um, hero's journey. So to give you an example of it, rather than trying to explain it to you right away, uh, what's your favorite movie? Shawshank Redemption. Okay, perfect, perfect, thank you. Example. So Shawshank Redemption, the white dude, can't remember his name, has Morgan Freeman, right? And Morgan Freeman, so the white dude is the hero in that, right? And so he's in prison, he goes through the whole experience, et cetera, et cetera. He's the hero, he's trying to get out of prison, right? That's kind of his journey. So he's on a journey trying to get out of prison. I can't even remember, I think maybe he like didn't deserve to be in there or something or another. But he had a very clear journey and he had obstacles, guards, the law, etc., as to why he shouldn't be able to accomplish that journey. But thankfully, he had Morgan Freeman, who was his guy, and like helped him along, figure out how to live the prison life, eventually get, get both of them achieving their goals. And the hero's journey is essentially taking that exact structure and applying it to whatever story you're trying to tell. So for your podcast, what's your podcast about? Oh, well, bad hair day. Strong concept. Okay. <laughs> for like, who's your audience for that? Um, anybody that's had a bad hair day. Good. Those okay. They're interested in hair. <laughs> like, are you thinking about people in here? Like, is there a lot of bad hair in here? Me? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Anybody who's ever experienced a bad hair day. Okay, good. All right. So, very specific audience. Start, starting off on the right foot. So um, with the Bad Hair Day, guys, do you know what your podcast is called yet? Oh, Bad Hair Day. <laughs> <laughs> You're the winner uh, project. So with the Bad Hair Day, I like that. You have uh, a very clear audience, right? Somebody who's having a bad hair day. They're, they want to, in theory, probably not have a bad hair day. They want to look good, right? Over, I would think. And so the Bad Hair Day podcast is acting as a guide, as the Mormon Morgan Freeman in that structure to help the audience not have a bad hair day. Does that make sense? You always want to uh, to give you the basics here of the storytelling structure. The hero is always going to be the audience, 
the hero is always whoever, like right now, if I was telling a story about this classroom, you all would be the hero, right? The, the temptation is going to be, a lot of times, for you to make your brand the hero, or yourself the hero, or like the, the, the hair guys, they're going to make them, you know, making hair the hero. None of that is true. The temptation, especially in marketing, if you get into business, the mistake you see all the time, everybody's pushing their brand or their product as the hero. And we'll get into a second, like, where those pieces should fit, but they're not. The audience or the customer is the hero. They need a clear objective. So, bad hair day people, they don't want people to have bad hair. They want people looking good. They want people looking fresh when they're walking around. They need a wise guy. The guy is almost always your brand. Okay? The, the Morgan Freeman character is almost always your brand, the business, uh, you know, whatever it is, the entity that you're representing. And then there's a few other uh, important pieces to it. So there's a disruptive obstacle, enemies, and allies. And we'll talk about those in just a second. The first thing that you need to do as you're building out this storytelling structure is that you need to identify the core problem that the audience has. Okay? So like for you guys, my initial concern would be, well, it's super specific. I mean, super ambiguous. Everybody has bad hair days. What is it specifically? I'm not, you don't hear this, but what is it specifically that they're dealing with? Meaning, is it just that, you know, the actual science of their hair is expanding or contracting, and so they're having a bad hair day? Or is it more like a physiological thing or a mental thing where because they're having a bad hair day, there's something correlated to that? Like, I know people are looking at me and I don't want the attention because I look bad. Or I want people to look at me because I want the attention of, of so-and-so, like I want them to pay attention to me, so I want to have a good hair day. That's the actual core problem. I'll give you another example. Uh, we work with a landscaping company, and the landscaping company was always promoting, we're like, we are great at providing XYZ seeds, we're gonna, you know, fertilize the ground, you're gonna have such better, uh, what's that scientific term? Like, you know, the chemistry in the soil is all gonna be so much better if you allow us to do our service. It just turns out nobody cares about any of that, right? Nobody cares about the pH of their soil. Nobody cares about whether they actually have healthy grass. When we surveyed their customers, what they cared about was that their neighbors didn't look at their lawn and be like, ew, that's the eyesore in the neighborhood, right? That's what we care about as humans. We care about what other people think about us. We care about, like, our, we know the Maslow's hierarchy of needs as a good place to start. Look at the Maslow's hierarchy of needs and think, how, what is it in this pyramid that my audience is, is feeling and identify that as your, as your core problem. Whatever that is, that's the journey that you're about to take with, with that audience, okay? So as marketers, as content creators, as business people, leaders, whatever it is that you're gonna be doing, you really need to play the role of a sociologist. You need to, first of all, a few ways to find this out is to do some second party research, so some quick Googling, <laughs> essentially. What do people say about bad hair days? What is it that people uh, are experiencing? What's causing them to have bad hair days? What happens when they have bad hair days? Blah, 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 blah. All those different things. Second party research, real easy. The best is first party research. You two talking to every single person in this classroom and asking them why and how and what happens and when and where, all those things about their bad hair day. That's the best way to find uh, insights around what your audience is experiencing. And then you just need to go produce content to test that. 
So again, last time I used the bad hair day, guys, because I'm bored of saying that. But you know, you you're gonna put out an episode. You're gonna see how it goes based on the research that you've done, and then you'll be able to see the feedback, iterate on it, and and create new. Right. A lot of marketers, again, get stuck in this cycle because they only do this part, the second party research. They only, you know, go to journals. They only buy data sources, all this stuff. And they never get to actually talking to their customer, which is the most important step, or creating anything, right? That's where, that's why this class is so good for you. He's making you create a five minute episode. That's, that's difficult. But doing so will get you through the process of how do I actually make this thing come together? And once I put it out, what's the reaction? How would I optimize? How would I change as a, as a result of that? Storytelling keys number two and three. So you've already identified the core problem. Secondly, you need to frame your brand as the guide. So again, the temptation here is going to be either to frame your brand as the hero. You see this all the time. When, you, when there's an ad that on TV, you're just like, what was that? I didn't get that. They're, they're doing one of two things. They're accidentally framing the brand as the hero to where you just don't care as a customer because it doesn't directly affect you or the product or service as the hero. Neither of those is, is, is the right thing to do. You want to frame, as we already talked about, the audience as the hero. But you do want to appear as the guide. No matter what your brand is, no matter what your POV is as a company, you want to come alongside as the advisor, as the educator in the space that can help, uh, help the hero accomplish their, 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 their objective, right? In Star Wars, Luke comes across Obi-Wan very early in the, in the series. And all throughout it, he always had, whether it be Obi-Wan or Yoda or someone, to kind of guide him along the different steps of mastering force and beating the, the Empire, right? You, you, your brand needs to play that role in order for you to have a position of authority uh, to, to speak into whatever it is that the customer problem is facing. The third thing, frame your service as the actual solution. So this is a, this is a kind of splitting hair, but there's a difference between your brand and the product that you offer, right? There's a difference between the, I'm not gonna do it. What, somebody else, what's your show? Um, um, something to do with volleyball. Cool. Okay. So you so see your audience is other students who are interested in the, um, in the team or in what's going on with the team. And your actual brand is going to be like, whatever, volleyball, BJU volleyball insider. But the service is at, is providing that inside access, right? There's a delineation there that is really important to understand as a marketer. One way to sort of figure this out, if you're trying to figure out like, okay, what's, what is it that we're actually doing? What is the value proposition that we're providing here is to go through this. We help and then insert your target customer. So we help current BJU students achieve uh, advanced knowledge of the volleyball team, right? Like, or understand what's going on in the season, all these different things through one-on-one -on -one interviews with players or through background stories with the coaches or whatever it is that you're actually providing. And this little device here, let me just tell you this, first of all, I've been in a lot of meetings, all this. If you just could understand how to effectively do this, you can get so many jobs in marketing, if that's interesting to you. Because this is, this is where so many people, they just cannot communicate 
what the value proposition is that they are providing to their customers. It's really, really difficult because we get so caught up in all this data and details and all that. None of that really matters. If you can just answer, what do we do? Who are we helping? How are we helping them? And then what does that look like? That simple device, um, you're going to be ahead of most people. So that's the unique selling proposition that will help you identify the actual value. And then I touched on this earlier, but you also have enemies and allies. And these are important when it comes to a storytelling uh, device. Okay, if you, if you don't have an enemy, you don't have a story. If you don't have some tension, some good versus evil, then there is nothing to bring the audience into and there's really no reason for them to pay attention to what you're saying. Perfect example, I'm wearing an eagle jacket right now. I'm from Philadelphia, I'm obsessed with eagles. I hate with everything in me the Dallas Cowboys. Like, to the point where it's like a personality issue for me. I, I can't talk to people who are Dallas fans. If you are, don't tell me. Um, and it's like, and this whole thing, right? The end of the day is like, that is completely made up. The Eagles are just a team, football team. We take their players sometimes. They take ours. Like that, that whole swap, right? The Cowboys are just a team that are like really bad and evil and have a lot of bad people associated with them. It's fine. That's who they decide to be. But at the end of the day, it's just football teams. But I completely, as a consumer, have bought into the story that there's a good side and there's, a, there's an evil side. And that creates all of the tension as a fan for me to want to watch those games, to want to follow what's going on with them. Like everything that goes along the sport between rivals it, that creates that drama, right? It's the same thing in storytelling. If you don't have an enemy for your audience to rally around, then there's going to be a lot. I, I, I'll be honest. With you. I'll give you a perfect example. Right now, I have, a, I have a show. It's called Content is for Closers. It comes out every single day. If you want to learn about marketing, you should listen to it. We have a decent problem with audience engagement because I'm not doing this. There's no bad side. There's no evil or dark side or anything like that. And it doesn't have to be that extreme, but you know what I mean? There's no tension that draws these people in. And there could be like having a nine to five job or being bad at marketing or all these different, like there's things that exist that I could use. I just haven't done, done the work to develop that yet. On the flip side, you need allies who also will come alongside you and align with your brand and support your, your hero on their journey. And these are obvious. This is every story. Lord of the Rings, they've got the two little guys. I can't remember their names, but, you know, with the knives and all that thing. Uh, Star Wars, obviously, these two. Every good story has support about it. With sports, any player that's ever played for the Eagles, I, 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 I you know, uh, what's the word? Where, unconditionally love that person, okay? Like, extreme. We have a client, Tori Smith, who played for the Eagles one year, but it was the one year when we won the Super Bowl. He calls me every single time he calls me. It's no earlier than 1030 at night. I don't know why he does this, but every time. And I answer it every single time like an idiot. But I always will answer it because he played for that team. And I'm always like, if I don't answer it, we might lose him. And I love this guy, right? So he's an ally for the Eagles that has created an emotional relationship with me. You want to create that in your show, even with the hair guys. Okay, I'm not forgetting about you guys. You guys need to find ways to create allies with maybe you get L'Oreal, somebody from L'Oreal to come on the show. Maybe you're just doing one episode, I assume, right? But in hypothetically, you know, those types of things. Maybe you get some girl who goes to school here who's known for great hair. Yes. Oh, there you go. Huge, huge ally. 
great example. All right, so enough talking about this. I want to show you a few case studies where this worked and one where it did not work uh, so you can see how this plays out. So I talked earlier about the can thing. Oh, let's go back to that earlier story. I drove home with the creative director after we lost the pitch from Nashville, and he was telling me about, you know, we lost this because we didn't tell an effective story. And he challenged me to become a better storyteller. And specifically, you know, I think a lot of my objections, and this is probably a lot of, is anybody in here like a design major? No. Anybody a writing major? I don't even know if they have that. Yeah. So my big objections were I'm not a trained writer. I'm not like a copywriter. I didn't go to newspaper school or whatever. And I'm not a designer. I'm not a videographer. I can't. So, you know, storytelling, that's a creative's job. And what his challenge to me was you don't need to be the designer. There's tools for that. Like you can use Canva. You don't need to be the best copywriter, uh, although being a good writer does help you a lot in, in marketing. Um, but you need to be able to be an effective storyteller and you need to be able to have the ideas for a story and then to be able to communicate them in, in an effective way. So as a result, I wrote this commercial for I started when I got back home. I knew this project was coming and I wrote this commercial. I'm not a writer, but because of the, the storytelling elements that I'm talking to you about, um, this is the commercial. I, I'm not going to play it because I didn't know how the technology would work, but this is the commercial that actually won the ad. And the reason that it worked, uh, so a few things about it real quick, generated 5 million organic views. They had a Super Bowl ad that they, uh, they, they did a bake-off, it's called, to see which would perform better because they were very skeptical about this idea, which will make sense when I explain it in a second. Uh, and we outperformed their Super Bowl ad. The Super Bowl ad had you know, several million dollars of budget behind it. This did not. This was just the production costs, but it outperformed Super Bowl ad. It earned media coverage in PR Week, Ad Week, CMO.com. Temple University wrote a business case study about it, et cetera, et cetera, and it won a canned dolphin. So the reason they were skeptical about this is because I was taking the storytelling thing to, to heart and trying to think about like, okay, if I can make a compelling story about carpet cleaner, which is what Stain Master is, then you know you can make a compelling story about anything. So their whole product uh, efficacy thing was once you spray the Stain Master product on the carpet, it not only washes it right then, it like somehow protects it from future spills. So they have all these videos where you can, that was what all their advertising was to that point. We spray it, we clean, clean it, we pour Kool-Aid on it. Oh man, it's like magic. It doesn't, it doesn't stick. Nobody cares about that. Again, back to the, back to the need state. So we made an ad instead where it looks like you're watching a movie trailer. When, when the video comes on, um, it, it, it opens up and it looks like it's specifically a movie trailer for a horror film. So they're driving, they're in this old house, it's a, it's a father and daughter. And I wrote like these whole backstories for them. Like their mom had died when she was five because she had cancer, blah, blah, blah. Like really sad, dark stuff. And, but you, I have, you have to do that. You have to go through that process in order to tell an effective story. So these two go through the, uh, I can't wait to see, like you guys have some dark stuff. Oh, yeah, you found it. Yeah, yeah it is. So uh, the, the, the whole trailer is effectively a fake horror film. They move into this new house. They have a creepy old neighbor who's like uh, breaking leaves. And uh, all of a sudden, they see a stain appear that was essentially haunting the house, right? And then they try to get rid of the stain. They try to get rid of the stain. It's been there for decades and centuries. And the, the, the trailer ends. And uh, it says, like, coming soon in theaters. And then the theaters blinks out and says, in stores. 
but most people didn't wait till the in-stores came up. So all of the comments on like YouTube and Facebook and stuff, we like me, like at Tony Miller, we gotta go see this when this comes out. That's how they got so many organic views because people thought it was a real movie. So that was one where tapping into helping the consumer, who in this case is a mom, who we found some insight that these moms love horror films. I don't know why. Uh, helping a mom uh, like understand and then get rid of these stains was our journey, right? That was the journey we were trying to help them on. We, as the brand, wanted to come alongside them and say, hey, we have a product that can help you do that. We didn't want to just do it by pouring it like we did, like, like they used to do on a, on, a, on a carpet. So we came up with this story instead, and it had a lot of success. Another example. This one's a more uh, applicable example for what you're working on right now. This is a current client. It's called the Oakley Trucking Podcast is their show. And the trucking market right now this is a little bit not as exciting, but the trucking market right now, if you don't know about it, is impossible to hire drivers. You could pay them $200,000 a year. You're not going to be able to pull drivers away from, from competition. They just, they, they have so much money. They're getting paid so much money and there's so few of them that you just can't hire enough drivers. If you don't know what you're going to do with yourself, if you're like, I don't know if this hair podcast is going to work out. I need a different career. Look into truck driving. Um, but this specific uh, truck company was trying to hire, they had around 600 drivers and they needed to hire an additional 200 drivers to meet demand for, for what their, for their, what their business is doing. And so what we did was create a podcast specifically for drivers, not just the people who were working for Oakley, but for, for outsiders. And we went through the whole process. We identified you know, what it is that truckers are struggling with. They're trying to make a better income. They're trying to be home for their kids more often. Like we figured out all of those different things. We figured out who the enemy was, which is in their world is called like owned trucks. So you only work for the company versus what Oakley does, which is owner operators. You're kind of like a entrepreneur, you own your own business. Uh, we did all of those things. And within 12 months, their podcast became the leading pod trucking podcast that exists. They have the most listens, most downloads, et cetera. They uh, had a 125% increase in driver applications and their ability to hire that additional 200 truck drivers. This has new business. It should be profit resulted in $1.3 million of profit. So if you're thinking like, I don't know why he's making us do this five minute podcast. Like I don't, I'm not going to be in podcasting. Like $1.3 million is okay. That's a, that's an okay outcome for, for a, for a company. You could do something like this. And when, if you listen to this podcast, like there's not much to it. It's not super well produced. It's not, it's just a good show. And that's that, that, but that's the efficacy of being able to tell a story uh, like this. All right. One that did not work the retro fitness musical. So after the stain worked, uh, I was feeling pretty, pretty good. And, um, we had another project come in for a company called Retro Fitness. We don't really have those in South Carolina, but they're big back in the Northeast and they're big down in Florida. It's like, it's like a, if Planet Fitness is Walmart, this is like Target to, to Planet Fitness. So it's like a little bit nicer. And uh, I decided to write a musical for this. I'm not, I'm not musical at all, but we, <laughs> it was like La La Land had just come out. And so there was like a cultural moment there. Maybe we could make it work. And, uh, and at the very least, it's a really big creative idea. I missed though, and the reason this didn't work, it got red lit in production. We wasted about four months of research and testing on it. 
and it cost the customer $100,000, which in the scheme of things isn't that much, but it, it was definitely not a good thing. Uh, the reason that this did not work was because of the, the problem we were solving didn't align with the story that we chose, right? When people who are trying to go to a gym, people who are trying to get more fit or whatever, uh, especially at their cost basis, they're really just doing it to check off a box. Like the people who go to Planet Fitness, Planet Fitness offers pizza on Tuesdays or something like that and free bagels on Thursday. No offense to anybody who's a Planet Fitness member, you get a lot of free food. But it's not about like coming in to become the next whatever, you know, fitness guru. And so when we did this over the top pitch and production, when we tested it, um, nobody really cared because all they wanted to know was, is it cheap? And like, can I just kind of do it and not really think about it too much? This was so different and so um, out of the box from what from the mat, from the hierarchy of needs that they were trying to solve that it just didn't resonate with with any of the audience. So I put one in there like that to show you that going through just the process isn't enough. You need to really think through back to that one slide we had. Think through the the uh, first person, you know, talking to your customers and finding ways to make sure that your insight actually aligns with whatever it is that they're trying to achieve. So that was uh, that was a little bit of failure. But all in all, oh, I thought we could practice. We've kind of done this through a couple. Let's just do one more. Who, who's somebody else's show? What's your show? All right. Like get better at golf? Nice. Okay. That's, I would listen to that. So you, um, your audience is those like casual golfers. Uh, what's the, how are you going to deliver on that? Are you giving like lessons or? Um, kind of. So like, I play for the volume golfing here. So we're going to talk about like how kind of like my practice routine or like how the practice routine in my study has helped me drop strokes and like my mindset when you're playing around and stuff like that. And so we stay focused not to like make big numbers and stuff like that. Cool. Okay. So can, can I give you feedback? That's super you centric, which is great. I'm sure people will listen to it, but right off the bat, like I'm not a college golfer. I love golf. I'm, I love to play golf. I'm real bad. I just played yesterday. I mean, real bad. And so, um, I'm, but I'm not a college golfer, obviously. And so when I'm listening to that, like your mindset and the things that work for you, there's a lot that goes past that mindset that just, that wouldn't work for me. Like you spend hours on the driving range, I assume, or, you know, practicing all that sort of thing. So your mindset, you can have that like locked in a little bit more and those little swing thoughts or whatever it is you're going to talk about work for you because of all the work that you've done previously. Uh, but that's all about you. For the bad golfer, we just want to know like, how do I get around the course in a tournament so I don't embarrass myself in front of like business associates, right? Or something like that. Um, so there's just one thing to think about would be like, how do I, again, put myself in the shoes of the listener so that whatever it is that you end up executing on actually addresses my need. For instance, uh, have you ever heard of Manolo Teaches Golf? You, sh you should look up that Instagram page before you guys produce the episode. He's, he's ridiculous and he's really funny. Yeah. Okay. So, okay. He's a perfect example. He's a pro, right? But he makes it super easy to where like, you know, if, if you're a bad golfer, which I am, then you just need to think about like, 
left of the cup, center of the cup, right of the cup. Don't try to think about this many balls, left, right, right, that sort of thing. Try, try to incorporate that. Okay, maybe one more. What about, what about Cam? What's your show about? Okay, so basically we're all journalism majors, so we were going to talk about like skills that we're learning in class and how we want to apply that to like future endeavors or like projects we're currently working on. Okay. And maybe like give an insight for people that want to go into that and do it on the well, like how they can do that too. Okay, so your audience is people who want to go into what? Um, just like the media realm in general, like he's touching on sports. I play for a little soccer team here, so I was going to touch on that a little bit as well. And she's going to talk about it from like an influencer lifestyle perspective. Okay. So it's kind of just. Yeah, no, it's cool. Okay. So, um, yeah, I mean, the quick feedback would be like, I would try to get more specific on who your audience is. Is it like a uh, 15 year old who's about to go into college? Is it, you know what I mean? And then uh, I would, are you doing multiple episodes or it's just one episode? Just one. Okay. I would probably try to do one topic because five minutes, is that, is five minutes the limit? Yeah, that's super quick. By the time you get the intro and outro, you're at like four. So um, I would I would try to just do probably one topic and to think through these, and you could say like, this could be applied to sports, this could be applied to lifestyle, this could be applied to that. But the cooler thing here is whatever the truth is. Okay. Anyway, okay, those are a little just uh, practice sessions. You guys can do that on your own. I'm uh, pretty much done. One other thing I just have to say, because I was texting Tony about it, nothing to do with what we were talking about this whole time. If you haven't learned personal finance prior to coming into uh, school or at school, because I didn't learn that, and specifically how equity and assets work, um, just go study that because that will change your career. It will change the way you think about business. It will change about what jobs you're willing to take, and it will definitely change you know your financial future. So I didn't put any of that in here because it's not really related. That was what my first whole talk was about. Uh, and then I edited it for, for this. But you guys can follow me there. If you have any questions, always feel free to hit me up. One person took me up on that. I've done this for like four or five years. And I still talk to him all, uh, all the time, Travis. So uh, yeah, you guys can feel free to hit me up anytime. You guys have any questions? What kind of video do you produce now? <sighs> Super boring types mainly. Like we have a lot of... Um, industrial, uh, manufacturing, trucking, those types of clients. So mainly they're essentially ads that, that show their capabilities, those sorts of things. Our clients aren't super brave, unfortunately, like some of these brands. So. Uh, yes. Can you say it again? Yeah, uh, I mean, we, so we're, we're a small company. We have four full-time people. Uh, me personally, I do pitch it, uh, but I also write all of the scripts. And then, well, yeah, first we'll do like a strategic, you know, deck telling them why we should talk about subject, write the scripts. And then we, we do the production internally. So we have a video guy, we have some, some editors, we have a lot of free, uh, Johnny just came in and talked to you guys recently he does a lot of uh, audio editing for us so we, we work through it that way uh it just depends on like if it's a podcast uh 48 hours because we but those are recurring so when we sell a podcast we'll only sell them in year-long seasons uh so we know okay every for 52 weeks we have an episode coming out every tuesday or whatever 
for a video, you know, that could be a several month project if, if there's certain shots that we need to travel for and, and all those sorts of things. So um, yeah, timeline kind of backs into that. It's a good question though. I feel like you're interviewing me. I'd be happy to give you more of my samples if you're interested. <laughs> cool, thank you guys.